This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. We'll be reading Luke chapter 13 this morning, beginning in verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather in your house as your people. We acknowledge that you are a great and wonderful God, that you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration. You're worthy of our entire lives. Lord, as we gather and we we speak and sing and pray and read the word and hear the word preached, all that direct us to your majesty, your greatness, and to the grace that you have shown so freely to your people in Christ. It's because we were far off, we were lost in our sin, and that you brought us near. You drew us by your Holy Spirit. You cleansed us with the blood of Jesus, and you are sanctifying us and making us more and more like Christ every day. That's the reason that we gather to worship you. It's out of gratitude and out of a recognition that We are so unworthy, yet you are abundantly merciful and gracious. So I pray that even this morning as we're gathered together, that you would impress that more clearly on our hearts, that you would teach us more deeply just how much you've saved us from, just how good you have been to us and continue to be to us. Lord, would you remind us that you care for us every moment of every day and every situation that we face, that you are near to us, that you're the God who's sovereign, that you're the God who who cares and uh, uh, oversees and is sovereign over everything that happens. And Lord, that's true for each one of us this morning, whether things are good in our lives right now or whether things are difficult. It doesn't change who you are. So Lord, I pray for each person who's here this morning uh, that if their things are going well in their lives right now, relationships are good, their family is good, their health is good, uh, not wondering where the next meal will come from or if there's going to be a paycheck. Lord, I pray for each person in that kind of situation that you would remind them, that you would remind us that you're the giver of every good gift. 
Lord, don't let us ever feel like we're sufficient on our own or that anything that we have is because of some good that we've done or because of our own wisdom or our own strength. Remind us that all of those gifts are because of your grace, because of your goodness toward us. Lord, help us not to think that those things sustain us, but remind us that it is you that sustains us. And if we had none of that, you would still be God. You would still be good. Help us not to take our eyes off of you and put them on the things of the world. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in whatever sense and whatever way, whether it's internally where no one can see, whether it's feelings of depression and loneliness while we put on a happy face, or whether it's an obvious illness or sickness or struggling with finances or relationships or our things in our families aren't good. There's so many different things and areas where we know that we struggle. Lord, I pray that in the midst of those situations that you would remind those who are struggling, those who are suffering, that you are God, that you are gracious, that you are good, that you are the one who can bring comfort and relief and the solutions to those problems in the midst of them. Lord, Paul said that he has learned in whatever situation that he's in to be satisfied because you are God. So whether, whether we're hungry or full, whether we're rich or poor, whether we'll, we're joyful or mourning, help each one of us in whatever situation we're in right now to trust in you. Lord, give us the strength, not in ourselves, but in you, to trust that you are God, that you are good, and that you are working out all things for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Lord, use whatever situation we're in to shape us and mold us according to your word so that we might please you, so that we might glorify you in every day. Specifically this morning, we think of uh, those families who are suffering in Texas who lost their, their children, their loved ones, their neighbors. Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort in the midst of an awful situation. And I pray for the church in that town and in that area that they would rise up, that they would serve those people, that they would be diligent in prayer, that, that they would be a, a shining city on the hill and that they would point to Jesus Christ as the only solution for the problems that we face in this world, no matter what they are. But Lord, I pray that in a, the midst of a tragic situation that you would bring good in a way that only, only you can. And Lord, as we are on this Memorial Day weekend and we're reminded of uh, our, our brothers and sisters, our friends and family, and, and those who have gone in the many years before who have, who have given their lives in service of, of a country where we're grateful to be able to, to gather, to worship you freely without fear of being arrested or shut down. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to gather, and we're thankful for that. We don't take it for granted. So uh, we thank you for all that you have done and uh, in this country continue to do. Lord, we thank you for this church, this body that you've called together to serve uh, Trenton and the surrounding areas and all of the wonderful things that you've done. We pray that you would continue to work through us here, that we would be obedient to you, that we would submit our lives to you, that we would be in prayer constantly for our neighbors and our friends who don't know Jesus, who are far from you. We pray that you would send us out, that you would give us the boldness and the love for our neighbors to boldly speak the gospel to whoever will listen to us. 
And at the same time, we pray that you would bring people in, into these walls, where they can hear the word preached, where they can uh, see your people praising you and worshiping you because of all that you have done. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your steadfast love. And pray that this morning, as we sit under the preaching of the word, as Pastor Ian comes to preach, I pray that you would speak through him. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts, that you would shape us, that you would change us, not according to our will, but according to your will. Help us to submit to your word, to be the people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's uh, so nice to be with all of you this morning. And we do hope you'll have a wonderful time with your families and friends uh, tomorrow, and that indeed you will be safe. Well, we're taking our remarks this morning from uh, Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 31 and following, just five verses, the passage that was read for you just earlier. We've come to the final installment in our series in the book of Luke, And Jesus has taught and he has healed and he has done many great things to draw people to himself and to the good news of his presence. There has been a mixture of uh, popularity, but that popularity has turned in these last several weeks in our series to opposition and hatred. And he's slowly making his way down to Jerusalem which is his ultimate and final destiny. And Luke tells us in verse 31 something that no other gospel writer records, that on one occasion some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Well, he had good reason to be afraid, and so did his disciples. After all, it was Herod's father, Herod the Great, who had snuffed out the lives of the infant boys around Bethlehem when the wise men came with their report. And now his son is the governor of Galilee and Perea. Galilee, of course, is to the north around the Sea of Galilee. Perea is on the east side of the Jordan River. This is exactly the place where Jesus is conducting his ministry, and he has been doing so for quite some time, and so Herod is well acquainted with this man. And after all this, Herod was also the one who had killed John the Baptist. I think if I had been one of those disciples listening in to this, I would have said, Lord, let's, let's get out of here. But also remember that this Herod, when he beheaded John the Baptist, didn't do it of his own accord. He did it in response and in appeasement to his wife and his daughter. And after all, he had many opportunities to kill Jesus if he wanted to. And Luke's gospel is going to tell us that when Jesus is before his trials on the night that ultimately he is given over to his death. He will stand before this same Herod, and Herod will let him go. 
So there's the possibility that these Pharisees are just making the story up. Maybe they're just trying to frighten Jesus. They might just be out and out lying about what Herod's intention was. After all, we've learned that these Pharisees are very often the enemies of Jesus. They're finding a way to entrap him and see if they can catch him making some statement that they can accuse him with. So maybe Herod did send these Pharisees or maybe the Pharisees are just making up the story themselves. Maybe they just want to get rid of Jesus. Maybe it's sort of just like, just go away. When I was a little boy, about eight or nine, my brother had a girlfriend, and I really enjoyed her. I still do, because ultimately they got married. And, um, but I hung around them so much because I enjoyed watching them interact with one another. One day my brother gave me a dime. I said, what's this for? He said, Ian, don't you get it? Said, Go away. <laughs> Go away. Oh, I see. I understand now. I get it. Many years later, my brother Bob tried the same trick on me. I told him, it's five bucks now. <laughs> so the Pharisees say, go away, Jesus. Some people believe, and it could possibly be true, that these Pharisees were in fact friends of Jesus, giving him some real advice to help him out. After all, you remember the story of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who came to Jesus by, by night. And in the very next chapter in this Gospel of Luke, we're going to discover that Jesus, in fact, was invited to dinner by the leader of the Pharisees. So there's a possibility that these Pharisees were saying this to help Jesus out. Luke doesn't tell us. And when you read the Bible scholars and the commentators that I had to look at this past week, if they were real live books, like in the old days, they would fill up my office. They're all over the place. Luke just doesn't tell us. But what they all agree on is that in Jesus' response, he makes it very clear. I'm not afraid of anybody. Not afraid of Herod, not afraid of you. I'm on a mission, and I'm not going to be sidetracked. I have an agenda. If you want to be a follower of mine, you need to be on my agenda, not your own. Some people would almost say it was these, these Pharisees as friends of Jesus might have said, Lord, let's get out of here. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Luke's version, why, call, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, but then don't do the things that I say? 
So often you and I come before the one that we call the Lord. We try to help him out. Lord, here's my problem. Here's my situation. And here's my suggestion about how you can fix it. Here's my idea and my plan. When all the while the Lord says, if I'm the Lord, don't tell me what to do. You listen to what I'm asking you to do. I can think of an example in my own life many years ago when I knew exactly what God was going to do. And I was praising him and thanking him in advance for solving my dilemma. Lord, thank you for what you are about to do. For I know that all of the pieces of the puzzle are fitting together in a beautiful plan. And Lord, I just want you to know, thank you for working this situation out. And the Lord did work that situation out, but not anywhere near in the way that I thought he would or should. And folks, this morning, if you name the name of Christ as your Lord, you be careful that you're not spending more time telling him what he ought to do when in fact you need to be getting on his program and his plan and asking for his direction for your life. But above all, our attitude should never be, Lord, just go away. Go somewhere else. Our Lord's response to these Pharisees shows us that he knows exactly what's coming. He does have his own agenda. He's on his own timetable and he can see the future in the days to come, in the near term. He can almost identify what he's going to be doing in the next several days or weeks. So you tell that old fox that I'm serving my father. I take my orders from him. I have work to do. I have more healing to do. I have more demons to cast out. And eventually, I am, in fact, going to fulfill my mission. He says in verse 32, I will finish my course. There is an end point to my ministry here on this planet. And I have an agenda. I can't tell you exactly and precisely what the next few days or weeks or even months will hold. But I can see the future and I ultimately will finish my course. And by the way, for me, that is meaning I will give my life. They will kill me. I will be on the receiving end of people's wrath. But I won't be dissuaded from my mission and my agenda. And as for you Pharisees, I am working out my agenda every day. I'm not afraid to die. It is my mission. And it's appropriate that I would go to Jerusalem and die because after all, that's what the Israelites do to most of their prophets. They put them to death. After all, Elijah in the Old Testament complained to God, 
all of the prophets have died. I'm the only one left. And King David was threatened to be stoned. The chronicler in the Old Testament who summarized how the Israelites had gone against God and were ultimately going to go into captivity. He says, you're always rejecting the prophets that God sends to you. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament said, these people have been persecuted, they are imprisoned, they have died by the sword, they have been stoned. And even Stephen will stand before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 and in a long, elaborate speech tell those people who should have known better, you have always done the same thing. Which of the prophets didn't you persecute? And now you have killed the best prophet. And after he had said that, of course, they stoned him. So Jesus knows exactly what's down the pike. He's got it all figured out. He's got the plan and he's marching in step with his father's commands. Yes, Jesus says, I, I am going to die. I am going to go to Jerusalem. And I will give my life. It's going to happen soon. But it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It will be soon, but it will happen on God's timetable. And Jesus is fully aware of what lies ahead. It's at this point in Luke's story that he breaks away and seems to borrow a few lines of scripture from Matthew and puts them in here. Jesus laments over Jerusalem, not even in Jerusalem yet, but he laments over Jerusalem and this reveals that God is totally sovereign and in control. And God's heart is broken because these people have rejected God's grace. This is the saddest part in this whole story. But there is a strong and important theological point that we need to be clear on this morning. The sad part is that for all of these centuries, God's own people, the Jews, the Israelites, the people who have Jerusalem as their capital, they have consistently rejected the kindness and the grace and the love of God. They've stubbornly rejected his tender appeal. And Jesus says, how often I wanted to gather your children like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. How often I wanted to do that. I was willing to do that. That was my desire. But you were not willing. The same Greek word in both of those phrases. I was willing, but you weren't. 
What does this passage teach us about the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children. I wanted to put them under the shelter of my wings. God invites you and me all the time to come under his loving care, to be on the receiving end of his kindness and his grace and his goodness, to be under his shelter and to find refuge. That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. Frail, weak people coming before a holy God who gives love and protection and guidance. And Jesus says, how often I wanted to gather your children, but you were not willing. Here's a little slice of theology that we all need to be reminded of. Of course, we believe that the willingness comes from God himself. It's God who gives us a heart that longs for him. It's God who opens our eyes and our ears to spiritual truth. If you're a believer this morning, it's because and only because God's grace was made evident to you and you, one way or another, understood his love and compassion. You understood the good news of Jesus Christ. And you opened your heart and your mind to that good news. And you received and accepted and embraced the message of the gospel. That's, that's the work of God. God is the one who does that. He causes us to be willing But the flip side of that same coin is that you have to be willing. You are not going to be embraced by, God, by God's good news of the gospel if your heart is not broken, if you are not ready to accept and embrace the message. And God's heart is broken because he has done everything necessary for these people to respond to the good news. And yet, their hearts are cold. They're resistant. They don't want anything to do with this message. And they ultimately say, Jesus, get out of here. Get out of my face. Go away. I don't want to be bothered with it. And as Pastor Carr shared with us last week, the cost of that final rejection, the price that we pay for that final resistance is terrible. It's terrible. And that's why God comes and any time you are in the hearing of the message of the gospel, you have an opportunity to say, yes, I want to be, I want to be like a, a little chick coming under the hen's wings. I want to be on the receiving end of his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his protection. I want to be that person. And the cost of rejection is terrible. 
But there's one last verse in this passage, verse 35. And again, Matthew's gospel, if you were to check it out, you'll notice that he takes these verses. He puts them within the context of our Lord already being in Jerusalem after Palm Sunday. That's probably the context of these verses. And he makes two significant statements about events that have not yet taken place. Jesus says, first of all, in verse 35, your house is forsaken. My house is forsaken? Are you, are you talking about Jerusalem? Are you talking about our temple? If you're talking about our temple, look at it. It's beautiful. And by the way, in Matthew's gospel, in the very next chapter, the disciples will say just that. Look at how beautiful the temple is. Herod the Great had begun that temple building uh, operation when he was the governor. He was responsible for getting the temple in the shape that it was in. And all during the intervening years, for 46 years, John's gospel tells us, that temple had been restored and expanded and built and glorified. And that building project is going to go on for several more decades after Jesus leaves the scene. How can he say, your house is forsaken? And maybe the disciples were asking the same question. That probably is what prompted them to ask him. Tell us about the future. You have given some hints about this temple. What's going to happen? What we discover is that in 70 AD, the Romans came to Jerusalem, sacked the city, destroyed the temple, and everything that was sacred to the Jews, their temple, the city, the Old Testament sacrificial system, even the institution of the Pharisees themselves started to be in decline. And everything that was precious to them was taken away within their lifetime. And when Jesus is saying, your house is forsaken, he is giving a prophecy of what is going to happen, not in the near term, but what's going to happen several decades later, but within the lifetime of many of the people who are standing there listening to him. You're going to see this. And then there's one final thing that's on the agenda. He says, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I hope that line of scripture is vaguely familiar to you. It's taken from Psalm 118. It's the very thing that People shouted when Jesus came into Jerusalem when he was riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday. But in Matthew's gospel, this statement 
is given after Palm Sunday. He's not talking about what happened on Palm Sunday. He's talking about what's going to happen at the end of the age. You're not going to see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When Messiah shows up, that's what people say. When, when Messiah showed up in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that's what they said. When Messiah shows up again, the second time, at some point in the future, and we sang about it today, when that happens, they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because when Messiah shows up, that's what people say. Our Lord has this whole thing figured out. He not only knows what's going to happen in the short term, he not only knows what's going to happen in the decades following his death and resurrection, he knows what's going to happen at the end of the age. And he knows that he's going to be alive to be a part of it because we will see him and we will say to him blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord well we don't know when that's going to happen I have no idea sometimes people will corner me it's got to be soon it's got to be it's got to be within the next five years People have been saying that for 2,000 years. So I have no idea. I have a few guesses, but I'm going to keep it to myself. My guess is as good as yours. But one thing we know, all over Scripture, we're told, he's coming again. Jesus will spend two whole chapters in Luke's gospel toward the end of his book describing those events. The writer of Matthew will take this passage and he precedes that whole discussion immediately with what we've just talked about. Of course he's talking about his return at the end of the age. When that happens, that's between, that's, that's God's agenda. Even the disciples said, when is it going to happen? And Jesus basically said, none of your business, except to say it will happen. And when it does, you want to be among those who say, indeed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You want your head to be held high, and you want to say, I was counted among those who, in fact, made Christ my Savior and my Lord. And he was the one that I trusted to wash away my sins. He is the one that I have been serving and he is the one that I am expecting to see someday and maybe very soon. As Luke concludes this part of his gospel and he has much more to say, we'll pick the story up at some point in the future. But we leave on this note that this Jesus who knew all about his mission, 
is the one who died for your sins, who rose again, who predicted the demise of the Old Testament system and predicted the ultimate return of himself in glory. And we praise him and we love him and we serve him until he comes. Let's pray. Father, you have amazed us with your grace and love. And most of us who have been touched by your love and grace, who have been warmed to the good news of Jesus Christ, we just stand amazed at, at how much you have cared for us. But Lord, we know that in this broken world in which we live, there are people all around us who, who have no, no clue, no interest in spiritual things. Father, speak to them as you have spoken to us. Cause them by your Holy Spirit to be moved and quickened and drawn to your love and your grace. Meanwhile, Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to serve you. Every day is a wonderful, precious gift from you, never to be squandered, never to be taken advantage of, never to be cast aside, but to be used as we have the privilege to serve you. Father, help us to be on your agenda, not our own. Help us to be walking in lockstep with your perfect will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.